Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies. Sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, but other times giving ourselves the opportunity to watch the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am one of your co-hosts here with you every week. My name is Joe Hilliard. And I'm Dave Gurney. And David, we love a threesome, but today... (laughs) We're going to have a foursome because we have two third chair, I guess a third and a fourth chair guests, a, a friend of mine, Roland Alanis. Hello. And uh, another new friend of mine, Sarah Horsey. Hello. And hey, welcome. Welcome. We're so glad you guys are here. Roland is a local comedian and Sarah... There's a trend here, Joe. Yeah. You're, <laughs> Sarah, you're, you're a teacher. No. I made that up. <laughs> She's going to teach you something today. I, I, I know that she will. I know that she will. Um, I want to get to know you guys, but first let's get some beer directly into yeah, our glasses. We, we definitely need to do that. What do we have today, David? Well, it, it, the name may not make sense unless you've looked at what films we're going to review on this episode, but if you have, I think it will right away, um, and we'll make the connection for you soon if you haven't. Um, this is from a new brewery to the podcast, at, at least as far as I can recall, called Eleven Below. Low Brewing. Uh, they are out of Houston, Texas, just up the road, and they have delivered to us in the form of cans with these lovely uh, the art of a fish on a bike and with a curly Q mustache, <laughs> uh, an IPA that they are calling Hipster Sauce. Okay. So let's I, go I, get, ahead I get it already. Get these cans going around right. the room here and uh, get some into our glasses, folks. Okay. Uh, this IPA, as they are describing it is uh, what all the cool kids are drinking these days and they call theirs hipster sauce there are excessive amounts of mosaic citra and amarillo hops providing juicy yumminess for hop heads and hipsters alike they're suggesting that we twist up that sweet stash put on your retro hat and enjoy the sauce and I will say that all three of us guys in the room do have facial hair here. So oh yeah, we're uh, no so curly cues though. Yeah, and and dripping with sarcasm often. So yeah. this is gonna. I work have out facial hair point. too. I just am good at hiding. <laughs> so well, well, well hidden. Um, and and uh, in case I didn't say, I think this was six point five percent ABV. So uh, you know, th- th- a good place to start out, I think. So Roland is one of the hardest working local comics. He's at every single open mic. That's how we've gotten to know one another. And somewhere along the way. And we talked about, we began talking about movies. And then he invited me on his podcast. It's on Spotify. It's called Sports with Roland. Go look that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a hangout podcast, and I had so much fun. And then uh, we went from his recording studio to his bedroom. I'm not going to tell you what happened at the end of the day. Where the magic happened. I am going to tell you that he has got, David, one of the most impressive physical media. Collections I have ever seen. Really? And I thought that in after hours, beerandmovie.com. No, 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 no. What is it? Patreon.com slash beerandmoviepodcast. Yeah. In after hours, I'm going to ask all of us to talk about our journey into film. Like, we talk about all the time our journey into craft beer, but like, how Roland, David, Sarah, did you guys get into movies at the depth that you are? Cool. What does your Instagram remind me of? Uh, uh, it's Regina George's. Everyone should follow him. <laughs> Everyone. Or you can uh, type in Ro- Roland Spamalot. You can yeah, find Roland it that Spamalot. way. So, what do you think of the smells and the sights yeah, and the flavors here so far? I'm getting a dank uh, aroma off this. It's got some of that typical kind of mosaic. Uh, profile that, that I think of. So I, I, I feel comfortable that we're in IPA territory, yeah. as they claim. And already. a 6.5 is a nice start. Yeah. Um, wh- why does hipster sauce make sense for this film, Joe? I'm going to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Stop everything. A Wes Anderson movie just came out. <laughs> Stop everything. Turn the car around. We're going back to the theater, kids. Sorry, the Flash. The hipsters are going outside. <laughs> <laughs> the hipsters are out in the... Yeah, r- rubbing their eyes in the sun for the first time in a while, saying, Wes Anderson, where is it? And the four of us got to attend a advanced screening a week ahead of time right. at Alamo with a nice Q&A afterward. And, um, okay, how do you do this, right? So Wes Anderson, his most recent effort was The French Dispatch, which was an anthology-style film that let, let him explore all kinds of new styles. If you know anything about Wes Anderson, you know there's going to be art direction. You know at least half of the actors and actresses that are going to be in the film because they are his returning company. They are all here, with the exception of Owen Wilson, I will say, unless he popped in and I didn't see it. 
No, no, no Wilson brothers in this one. Bill, so, Bill Murray's also not in this one. That's true. That's right. Though he was supposed to be. Yeah, he's replaced by Steve Carell. That's right. Apparently he got COVID right before they were going to be shooting, and they could not shift things around because of this ensemble cast. You can imagine Damn. trying to get everybody's schedules. Yeah. Together, <laughs> so, um, how do you start? Okay, it is a, it's meta, meta, and then meta. It is a, it's in the 50s. <laughs> it is a television show, so it's 50s style black and white television, doing a documentary about a play... Uh, so you see the cast of the play putting on the play Asteroid City. But when they put the play on, we're clearly seeing a full, technicolor, gorgeously shot film. And in it, uh, at the Junior Stargazer Space Cadet Convention at an American desert town in 1955, where an asteroid had hit decades earlier, alien an alien comes like and... Humans. It was, what, 5,000 years ago or something? It was, a, it was a long time. No, yeah. Clearly, yeah. <laughs> How does, geolo- How does geology work? <laughs> um, uh, and when an alien arrives, it uh, they have to be quarantined. They have to, uh, and the children are the heroes. And I, it, we can get into the synopsis as we b- begin to discuss the film. Uh, and I will reserve whether or not this is a masterpiece or if this is B-level Anderson here maybe for a little while. But I did ask all of us to, in after hours, be prepared with our top three Wes Anderson movies, you're not going to want to miss that. Right on, yeah. Um, we're, we're always excited when a new Wes Anderson film arrives because we are kind of hipsters when it comes to uh, <laughs> at least our film appreciation. I don't know. Like I said, we none of us have the curly cues going on. Um, but, you know, th- we did French Dispatch a while back. Um, when, when that was released, I, I believe we all really enjoyed that film. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I've, I've certainly been somebody who's been tracking him throughout his career. I think uh, th- this film has a lot going for it. His cast just seemed to get bigger and bigger and bigger every time. He brings in these kind of continuing players right in the Q&A we all saw after. Like, they kind of talk about that it's almost like this company of, uh, of performers. Much that, like a theater company. Yeah, yeah right. Um, th- that he's put together. And so you have some of those old reliable faces. Jason Schwartzman probably being the longest standing one because we don't have the Wilson involvement with, with this one. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, you have Schwartzman, you have Goldblum, you have... Uh, Tilda Swinton. Right, exactly. I mean, even Johansson, even though she hasn't been in one of his live-action features, she did a voice in yeah. I Love Dogs. So, like, all these people returning. A few new faces come into that, right? We have Maya Hawke this time, mm-hmm. uh, the daughter of Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke. She shows up as a school teacher here. Um, we also... Who was the other... Um, Trying to think. The young man who played no, he was no, in he was Moonrise in Moonrise Kingdom. Kingdom. Yeah. Jake Ryan uh, had played a young, but there was somebody else. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, right? Yeah. Okay, oh, there we yes, go. Yes. Um, new to the ensemble, a huge name, right? I mean, a, a huge <laughs> yeah, star yeah. kind of. Brian Cranston right. appeared prior. I, mm, he was also in All of Dogs. Yes, he okay. was a voice. Okay. Yes, okay. so like Johansson. But you know, it's so it's always fun to see how he's going to put these different players into these films and what kind of. You know, as Joe was saying before, like the, the the art direction in these films is always very particular, right? I know it actually yeah. turns some people off, right? I, I was actually talking uh, after we saw the film on Tuesday with some folks uh, the next day, and and one of them, uh, who is a great lover of art and and theater and 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 film and stuff, he's like. Oh, I saw the trailer for that. It just looks too goddamn precious. I can't, I can't do that. And I get, I get it. I get, you know, like there's a part of me that kind of wonders how far I can take it. Um, but I keep going back, right? Um, and and I, I don't think this one is going to stop me from going back. But I do have some concerns. All right. Mm. Well, it was pretty good. <laughs> I feel bad for saying that, but um, I feel like it was like inception. It was. Wes Anderson trying Inception. Like, I was like, <laughs> oh, it's a deeper level. There's another story. Oh, it's a story within a song. Okay, right, I right. Yeah. Oh, they're actually, oh. So I feel like, uh, but I'm also a sucker for stop motion. So I feel like bias when it comes to his films. Because so, so for you, well, we, we don't have to say right now, but I have a feeling Isle of Dogs and Fantastic Mr. Fox like, might be showing up in your yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like this is a monster trying to teach my kids how to move puppets and they're like i don't get it and i'm like well, we're gonna sit here and it's hard too yeah. but <laughs> i feel like it's definitely one of the most wes anderson wes anderson things ever. <laughs> like 
You know, and I think it's kind of admirable, actually. Um, uh, French Dispatch was the first one. People kept saying... I know people are always saying, like, oh, the new Wes Anderson movie kind of looks like a parody of a Wes Anderson movie, but it's just a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. That was, like, really heavy during French Dispatch. That's when he's first trying out, like, to be his own self, really. And yeah. in this one, he's just full Wes Anderson. He doesn't care. I don't know. I, I mean, to me, it really begins with aspects of Rushmore. Sure. I'm thinking immediately of the... Uh, the curtain that keeps closing yeah. and opening with uh, the, yeah, with the sure. display of what time of year it is. Right. But with Royal Tenenbaums, you begin to really see everything that the spoofs of Wes Anderson's talk about. The cast, the uh, font that comes back in every single one right. of his works, yeah. the, uh, the varied family dysfunction that kind of wraps up but not in a Hollywood typical way mm-hmm. you know it's like a a raised eyebrow is the indication that the character has reached some kind of catharsis to what's clearly been a problem for them prior to now rather than crying and hugging you know right. well, we do see that a huge through line in all of his films is a very flat deadpan delivery of the, the dialogue by the actors right oh, I mean oh, and yeah. these are you, because these are actors who you've seen, and you know they're capable of different kinds of performances, right? I mean, some of them, actually. Schwartzman kind of seems like he's of the Anderson world, even when you put him in other films. But, yeah. <laughs> to a certain extent. But, you know, Murray and, uh, and, and Hank, certainly, yeah. and, and Johansson and stuff, we've seen them do roles that we know they can sort of emote, emote in ways. Right. But clearly Anderson wants this stuff really delivered in a way that's sort of detached, yeah. I, I think, emotionally. Like, uh, when the children are confirmed in this film, Asteroid City, when uh, Schwartzman's children, we when we meet Tom Hanks, have you told them yet? No, I haven't. <laughs> what, they have, what the father hasn't told his children is that their mother passed away weeks ago. Right. And when he finally does sit down, there's no crying there's right. no it's, it is an attachment exactly that you are talking right. even about. the children I mean, yeah. And, yeah and that's which is you know he gets some remarkable child actors who can pull this stuff off yeah they're just I like love, that sucks yeah <laughs> I, I love the treatment of children in West Anderson movies like in Town of Bombs uh, yeah. when the daughter found out she's adopted because she just said it at the party you're adopted yeah like, okay <laughs> right it's, it's these things that should and you know would be very emotionally impactful are just delivered in this very matter of fact way and they land that way until usually there's something that kind of reveals oh no this is causing more emotional ter- you know like the, the suicide attempt in Ten and yeah, Bombs yeah, yeah. the you know the, these moments in Rushmore Max like acting out in certain way and you know kind of having his meltdown at the yeah, dinner he when does, you know, right. like, so there are these moments where the characters kind of break Although, interestingly, I don't know, do we get that in Asteroid City? D- does there come a moment where the emotion kind of bubbles out and, and actually... I don't recall. Yeah. I don't recall. The, the film is filled with gags that really work for me. Um, well, let me say this first. The fil- the, what makes this film different than a, a, other Anderson films, as far as his style evolving, is the washed out... <coughs> excuse me. The washed out look... Of of the what, what's what, what's the film the desert landscape yeah but the whole film is shot with a a ramped up brightness because the sun is so sure, bright that they, the and a muted color sun. tone yeah pastel yeah, yeah and it's it's that's the look of this film when it is the colorized version the black and white sections are a very different look to them also a different aspect ratio yeah. right? so, television aspect yeah so we see Brian Cranston as the narrator of the television show he looks just like a 50's narrator and then all of a sudden he pops into the color and it, the camera moves over to <laughs> that him that was a good gag and he I goes, like that oh am I not supposed to be here and yeah. then it just moves right back to the action just a quick joke yeah it was very meta this movie yeah it yeah. was like Wes Anderson's Deadpool yeah I mean I think probably the most <laughs> the most emotional moment that we get and it's still pretty flat it's still pretty deadpan is when Schwartzman walks out towards the end you know like leaving the scene of the play to go backstage and has this interaction with another performer who we've seen, Margot Robbie, I'll just say, right, who we've seen in a photograph mm-hmm. playing his dead wife, who apparently 
at least in the story of the film, had a role within the play at one point, was going to be part of the Asteroid City story on stage, but then they cut that part, and so she's doing another play across the street. And then they have this kind of exchange across balconies, like for over an alleyway or whatever. Yeah, yeah New York, Broadway um, District. Yeah, that they're kind of, you know, they have this somewhat heart-to-heart moment about, you know, loss and what it means. Like, I guess, you know, her losing a role, him, his character, losing a wife. It, so th- there's something there, I think. And there are moments where, but it's interesting that I feel like there's almost always like a, a time where like a character breaks and, and, and has that moment that, that kind of overflows. Yeah, that wasn't really here in this movie. Yeah. That wasn't really an emotional high moment like in the other ones. Uh, it's kind of reminded me of like Budapest in a way yeah. because that movie also doesn't really have emotion. Um, Adrian Brody a little bit. A yeah. little bit, yeah. As, as the <laughs> Ilya Kazan-like director uh, who, who's supposedly behind the scenes of this play. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, I meant sure. uh, Adrian Brody in Budapest when he, in his grandmother, he needed the air right, to right. her fortune. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's another gag that I, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up and that is that when we're learning that the set, the meta setting of the pl- is in 1950s Broadway, you see um, the Broadway Times Square with the different names of the plays that are yeah. going on. Death of a Narcissist. Yeah. I, I loved that. Yeah. I thought that was so good. I, I'm pretty sure that's an autobiographical play. Yeah, oh, that, God. That yeah. Uh, Anderson is imagining writing himself. Oh, I thought you were talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did, you didn't write this movie, so I don't know. <laughs> you're going to make the movie <laughs> i forgot in that scene that it wasn't what's the word like i forgot that it was just these two actors like oh remember yeah. this is supposed to be the scene yeah. we were gonna do like i completely got engulfed and i was like oh my gosh yeah, that was like, good writing. Yeah. i was so wrapped up in it when yeah. it ended and they were just like all right bye I was yeah like, oh <laughs> like they're just actors like redoing lines like oh man art is a lie nothing is real yeah Yeah, I was like man (laughs) there's some really nice moments throughout the film like that I mean there's also the the scene where it's another one of those behind the scenes ones where um, the actor that Schwartzman is playing goes into audition for the playwright played by Ed Norton here right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they have this interaction and he does this and then it ends with them seemingly segueing into a sex scene that cuts off and it's just, it's never mentioned again. It's never really put in there. And I don't know if that's like a commentary on this is how Broadway worked or works. I don't know if that was a, <laughs> but nonetheless, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's something that I don't remember ever seeing. In, Lips touched. <laughs> right, right. But like the, that Anderson kind of broached a queer romance in, mm-hmm. in his uh, film. I don't remember that happening before in one of his films. Mm. So, the, you know, there's some moments of new ground. He, here's, I, I set this up when, you know, we were first starting to talk about it that I'm, I have a little bit of a hesitation here with this one. All right, let's hear it. And, you know, and it actually goes right along with what Roland was saying. Like, I do kind of, like, I enjoyed this film. I think I'll probably go see it again. Because mm-hmm. I'll see this I, in I feel like right? I feel like there's so much going on visually. I, I mean, the art design itself, like, again, just... All of the the vending machines, I love those. Oh, God. Oh, I love like the, you know, the, the badges they have. There are, like, my daughters who came with me were both like, oh, man, we would join the Junior Stargazer competition if we got to get, <laughs> like, a sash and a badge. Like, yeah, I mean, there are these great awards and ribbons. And stuff. It's all just so beautiful. But it starts to feel like it's too Wes Anderson-y at a yeah. point. It's, it's like Wes Anderson folding in on himself. I mean, it's, like, almost as if... Um, you, you know, you, you, Sarah, said, like, Inception. I think, it, you know, it is, like, Westception here. That we're just, like, we're, like, this is a Wes Anderson film inside of a Wes Anderson film inside of another Wes Anderson film, all kind of taking place simultaneously. And there's something interesting about that, but I'm not sure that he's doing anything all that interesting when it comes to the themes. Like, it's still the same old themes. It's still yeah. family dysfunction. It's still not being able to deal with grief or not not being able to sort of get to the point with grief that mm-hmm. one is able to operate in a more sort of functional way. Um, it, I see so much of Rushmore in this film, with especially with, you know, the Jake Ryan character kind of echoing the um, Max Fisher character, the, yeah, Jason Schwartzman's from Rushmore and Schwartzman's his dad. And it's like, there's just this kind of self-referentiality that's going on on top of the already like pop culture referentiality that's going on in terms of you know the western and 50s sci-fi films and, and all that kind of stuff 
I w- it, it starts to feel like what what is this game you're playing at a certain point? Like when I start to try to unpack it and think about what is he really trying to say about this, I'm not sure he's getting to a better place with his storytelling when he does this. Visually dazzling, fun to watch. I'm enjoying this kind of deadpan humor at times, but I just don't know if what it achieves is anything better. It's not in my top five. For, that's films. that's what I would say uh, about French about French Dispatch, which okay. I did like. I yeah. do like. But yeah, it's just it's just all like just stylization the yeah. whole movie. There's there's nothing to it really. I get what he's trying to go for though, so I do appreciate it. And this movie, I feel is better than that. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's him learning. Okay. And I think maybe with the next one, we'll get like emotional on top of this super stylized. Thing. That's what I, I think. I, I, I'd love to think he can get that. You know what, though? Yeah. I, I thought that about French Dispatch. Like, this was such an experiment yeah. that the next movie, and I keep I keep saying, we'll go back to Rushmore. Yeah. Before the heavy stylized, and it was a very human story with a plot and arc. And I thought that's what this might be. Um, is Wes Anderson sucking himself so much that it can't <laughs> like it will evolve into are, are you referring auto fellatio here well, I'm, just, I'm just saying that clear, clearly it's he's a in re- a ball he's rolling baby <laughs> it's not down into the crater uh, I think that I, I, I think he I think he will have to make an artistic choice soon to get into a more emotional level I will be there opening night for the next film, no matter what it is. Yeah. So, uh, w- did this appear in my top three that we'll reveal on After Hours? I'll let you know. But I would say that I, I did enjoy this movie much more than... I agree with you, Roman. Yeah. I enjoyed this much more than French Dispatch, which I really enjoyed. He's, he's getting better. He's getting better. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> French, French we'll Dispatch was kind of a misstep, and this was him fixing himself up a bit. Mm-hmm. So, I think the next one... See, I think, I think I had less concern with French Dispatch because I, I felt like it was French Dispatch. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was such a it. specific thing. It was like this love letter to New Yorker and these long form essays and like these. So like I, I got where that was going. This one I just couldn't find that. Like, what's the rationale for like mashing up the western, the sci fi, and the anthology yeah. like playhouse drama for TV? Like, I don't understand what. All is going on and combining those. Welcome things. to but, a new but world. But that's it. Welcome to a new world that <laughs> yeah. I have created for you to enjoy for ninety minutes. To well, two that's hours. it. I mean, is it? it I, I wonder, I, and I worry maybe, is it an artist kind of grasping at straws at a certain no. point where he's saying, like, well, I want to do something new. Well, I'll do sci-fi. I'll do a western. I'll do a sci-fi western. You know, and yeah. that yeah. is enough to be. And I don't think, like, again, if you're going to just be retreading the same themes but in a different kind of package. I don't know if you're really getting to a new place. For me, it's like going to a restaurant that I love, and I know that they don't do anything new and fancy, but every time I go, the meal is well, so that's, enjoyable. Well, there's something about consistency. <laughs> and, and, hey, I know you love Applebee's, and you're going to get the thing. Yes. You, you're going to get your riblets every yes, time. Yes, riblets. So, okay, but, he, but, but he is one of those, those directors, and this film does not take him off of that perch, and will go around the room. Of when this new living director puts out a new movie, I'm there on opening night. Wes Anderson is one of those for me. Sarah, I mean, does something leap to mind? Uh, honestly, I was uh, trying to tell my dad about this movie, and he was like, "Sounds like cowboys and aliens." <laughs> yeah, and I was like, a little different. I was yeah. like, "You should still go out and see it. Like, I'm trying to connect with you." <laughs> yeah. Like, and he was like, "No, but I definitely will be there the next time. Yeah. And every single time he's come out with the movie, but I'm is, there." Is there another director besides Wes Anderson that you're there opening night? Period. I'm putting you on the spot. Christopher Nolan. Okay. Uh, he, so gotta, Oppenheimer. Yeah. Oh, I am. Okay. I've already planned out where I'm gonna sit. Like I'm just so ready. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know that people are already talking about that it's gonna be Barbenheimer weekend. Yeah. Are you are you also gonna be seeing Barbie that weekend? Oh. <laughs> oh. He wants oh. to see Barbie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, hey, I'm there. Oppenheimer's her pick. Barbie's my pick. I think, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I think that that episode we will do two new releases. Yeah. Uh, is that just only and only Pete sense? Beers. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There okay, you go. so you can't choose, I understand, you can't choose Nolan, Roland, who's the director that, like, opening weekend, I'm there. The best director working today, Paul Thomas Anderson. That's, yeah. that's, oh, that's, that's just me. Yeah. But, well, yeah. Yeah, that's you and a, and a lot of good 
film lovers. Uh, our our good, good friend of the podcast, Josh DeLeon, is a huge uh, Paul Thomas Anderson fan. Do you understand mm-hmm. why and sometimes if I've had a beer or two, I call Roland Josh? Do you understand? <laughs> uh, Appearance-wise? Yeah. Okay. No, there, there's a similarity. They could, be, they could be brothers from another mother okay. kind of Whoa. situation. Okay, so here's what we've done, Roland Sarah. We've set David up to really dazzle us with his pick. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay. we've taken three good picks off the table, but he's been over there. I know him worrying his mind to blow us all away. Please be Michael Bay. Please be Michael Bay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely it. Uh, you know, it, you, you all have picked some good ones. And, and I think, you know, well, I'm just going to say, like, all of those are ones that I, I think I try to make the uh, priorities when they have new films coming out and, and, mm. and get to see them. But I think the just one... Just say it, Joe Dworsky, just say it. No, 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 because I've met, <laughs> he's put out a lot in the last, like, decade that I have not touched. And that, so that, no, I cannot say that. He makes no. a lot of stuff, for sure. Yeah. Um, for for me, I think though the one that I've been most re- recently frustrated because I would go see it if it ever came any place close to me um, is uh, uh, Kelly Reichert who did mm-hmm. the uh, first cow was the film that we did mm-hmm. on the podcast uh, n- not that long ago, um, but she had a film called Showing Up that came out in limited release just a couple months ago, mm-hmm. and I really wanted the trailer played here. I was really hoping that it might get a screen at Cinemark or something. It never did. I, was she the one that also did a Certain Women? Yes, I like that one. Yeah, no, and I mean I love Old Joy, uh, Meek's Cutoff, all the like yeah. she, Wendy and Lucy. She works with Michelle Williams. Like I love her films. They're just very understated, very. Um, it, you know, I think to people who don't necessarily give them the, the give the patience and time to it that they they can feel like nothing happens in this film. What do you you know? Mm-hmm. But I think a lot does happen. It's kind of like the more under the surface, like what For people sure. are, what people are thinking about and how it kind of gets revealed in these small moments. Um, so I just love a filmmaker that can do something like that, and and she's a rare rare kind of filmmaker. I think so that that is exciting for me. Yeah. Well, stay tuned. Uh, will it appear in any of our top three Wes Anderson films? You have to come to After Hours to check it out. One more gag I have to say. Uh, when the alien arrives, he's coming to... Um, <laughs> great. That is a great scene. Yeah. I, I love the whole, again, the art direction of the spaceship, the way it lowers down. Yeah, all the look of the alien. Yeah. 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 This is bold, but this is easily one of Jeff Goldblum's best performances. <laughs> easily. Easily. Even better than Thank God It's Friday? I don't know. Yeah. It's, 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 I know it's blasphemy, but... After our, at our little fancy pre-screening thing that we went to, they had a little... Uh, pile of mementos from the movie yeah. one of them is the actual alien on a keychain that's hanging <gasps> on my refrigerator which my daughters are fighting over now. oh my yeah, gosh mine them. Too. you should have grabbed the I, second they, one so well they each got one but then my wife gave hers up to, to one of my daughters oh. and so the other daughter wants mine and I'm like no that's mine <laughs> <laughs> sorry daddy bought the tickets yeah. I had to elbow some <laughs> and then my son was trying to get the balloon but I had yeah. to step on a throat <laughs> so what happens is that the credits uh, sh- uh, the opening credits show the star name and then their character's name so we've already been alerted that Jeff Goldblum is the alien but yeah. the alien that arrives at Asteroid City does not look like Jeff Goldblum I mean outside of being a tall figure but then now we're backstage and there's a dolly shot through the backstage area as right. one of the characters is walking from classic right. Anderson dolly shot and yeah. then yeah. there's Jeff Anderson I'm sorry <laughs> could be Jeff Anderson at this that's point. the name of the alien yeah. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum in an alien outfit ruminating uh, wildly about the, the the character development of the yeah. alien and it's just so fast I laughed out loud I might have yeah. elbowed Roland in the ribs no. <laughs> sorry man poor guy it happens did we I review this movie at all I loved this movie you loved it. I, 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 I am it. always ready for another big bite of Wes Anderson as I said I give it a qualified uh, I have love for it, it but it's a qualified love it's a concerned love it's a West, let's not go too heading? much further down. Let's find a way to break <laughs> out of this. But you know, I'm probably not going to be able to quit you, so I'm going to keep seeing these. There things. you go. Yeah, it still tastes good. So <laughs> I'm still going to eat it, but I'm a little concerned. Yeah. A little, <laughs> little crispy around the edge. Yeah. But it was I genuinely like visually just ugh. yeah. When she was in the bathtub, I was like, oh, I. You forget. You just forget that it's a story within a story. So yeah. you you get all wrapped up. I was like, oh. it's a movie about acting and the acting yes. technique, the, and the then acting I was process. Like, she's it's like, storytelling. Was that good? Yeah. I was like, oh, I forgot. I'm like, where 
where am I? Yeah. Okay, mm. I'm back on Earth. All right, we're Rolling final verdict here. I I loved it. I think if you're a Wes Anderson fan, this is you've already seen it. Yeah, you've seen it, but this it's another good chunk of cake. Uh, I thought I thought it was a lot like uh, Budapest. It was hilarious. I thought it was really funny. I thought it was one of his funniest movies. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, definitely some great great comedy in here. And right? the visual style from the way the train moves. I mean, just all of it. It's just I enjoyed it so much. Well, and the, and we didn't even mention the uh, seemingly sporadic and random kind of car chase that just takes place. Yeah, I love that so much. <laughs> Which he was even asked about in the Q and A and refused to answer. <laughs> or, or the idea that there's this like stranded group of cowboy troubadours that yeah. sing and then really add a lot to the plot, including so Jorge, the uh, you know the Brazilian performer of who course, was in yes, uh, yes. Life Aquatic. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, okay, you're right. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, he's, uh, th- C David C. <laughs> all right, all in on the, the Wes Anderson verse. Well, yeah. so clearly, <laughs> this is a room full of hipsters. Yes. And here we are drinking hipster sauce. Oh, yeah. Oh, here we go. Is, is this actually the sauce for hipsters? Are, are you guys uh, in, enjoying what we're drinking from our glasses here today? Uh, yeah, yes. I'm, I'm done with it. Yeah. Right I on. am a huge IPA whore, so this is just <laughs> You are in the right place. <laughs> oh my goodness, I was like, oh, it smells so Move good. Move over, Roland. Oh my goodness. Yeah, when you asked me if my girl drank beer, I was like, ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so like, what I... are they trying to tell us? What is hipster about this? And for me, it must be that they believe, 11 Below Brewing, who made this for us, 6.5 ABV, is saying that hipsters love hops because this is a very hoppy. Well, hipsters love craft beer, at least. Sure. I, I get what you're saying, but yes, doing an IPA. But it's interesting. I will. I will say, I like this beer too. But I will say this is not like the most contemporary of IPAs, right? Because this is not a hazy IPA. Look, we're, we're you know like pretty translucent. We can see right through this. Nice, lovely golden color, but you know translucent. Um, there's a little more bitter bite on yeah, the end of it than I associate with a lot of IPAs these days that are going more for that like citrusy kind of uh, you know fruity profile. But I appreciate that. I think they've executed it very nicely. I think this is a really nice IPA, but it's kind of interesting to me that like to put out an, and who knows? We're just getting this in our market now, as far as I know. They may have been brewing this for five, ten years. I have no idea how long this brewery has been around. It was around. canned in May May 1st of 23, so this is So we're getting old. this fresh. Yeah, right? this oh, is good. Right. Gosh, he looked but, at the bottom of the can. <laughs> oh, yeah, look, look, oh, Sarah, on the bottom no. of IPAs. <sighs> yeah. Because you don't want to drink an IPA that's no. been on the shelf for too long, so this is nice and fresh. I have a bunch of college girls yes. who don't understand why I look at the bottom of the can oh, yeah. when I buy a there beer. There is an education. Oh, oh I'm so happy. Yeah, I, I feel bad sometimes <laughs> when I'm like on in the, the store, like looking at the packaging or the under the can or whatever to find that because I know people think that's a little bit uh, hipster, you know, uppity, right? to be hipster. <laughs> but, but yeah, fresh hops make a difference. That's why you have to know. I would buy another. I would buy. Where did you get this? I'd buy a six pack. Uh, this was actually procured at HEB. Okay, then I'm going to go to my uh, HEB, our major uh, grocery store I'm chain here. Pick in this South up Texas. next time. Yeah. I thought they did a great job. Yeah, so it's it's cool. I'm glad that we have another good IPA out in the Houston. market. Yeah, out of Houston. I think this will be a good one that uh, I'll go back to at some point. Definitely a uh, a success, I think, on both levels with the film and the beer yeah. for this first segment. So, what did we pair with Asteroid City? There was a lot of conversation. We'll let you know what didn't make it and what didn't make it after the break. Okay, let's get beer right into the glass, and let's tip our hat in case you didn't see the title of the episode. We're drinking from what Starbase Brewing, a new brewery out of Austin, Texas, our first time to have them on the podcast, the official brewery of Mars, they say. This is their Lunky... 
Lucky. <laughs> Lucky I haven't had a bite to eat, man. What are you doing coming into these episodes without some sustenance? Having fun. Ready to party? Lucky Launch Day Lager, a Mexican-style lager. It's 4.9 ABV. And uh, Starbase Brewing, I was looking at their website, which is starbasebrewery.com. They donate 1% of their profits to science uh, education. This is kind of fun. Uh, there's a lot of small print here. I don't have my glasses, so David, do you want to read it? The space industry has always been superstitious from wearing lucky shirts. You can continue. Yeah, from wearing lucky shirts and lucky socks to eating lucky peanuts, many space fans follow the same routine on every launch day just in case. One of our lucky launch day traditions is cracking open a cold, tasty lager and cheersing to a successful mission. And then getting behind the uh, controls of a rocket ship. There you go. Um, and, and as Joe said, they, they express that their goals are to spread awareness for space exploration, to develop new technologies that directly benefit Mars colonization, and to be the first brewery on Mars. In fact, they call themselves the official brewery of Mars, and they claim that their facility is 100% powered by renewable energy, and they have an offset carbon footprint so uh, nice it's yeah um, it's an interesting uh package mexican style lager we've done so many of these and if everyone knows the names of the big boys that are the big mexican style lagers i'm imagining we're gonna have a rice bill in here i'm imagining oh yeah yeah, yeah. on the way say it again the mariachi's on the way i mean hopefully it, usually it's corn with, with uh, the mexican lager they, they usually go for that so you get a little corn sweetness because with the rice you tend to get something a little drier mm -hmm. David yeah. always likes to correct me when I'm... I'm just calm, <laughs> dude. Gotta, you know, we gotta, we gotta keep you honest here. Rice and corn, basically the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, I, I'd love to eat a rice tortilla something. <laughs> okay, so why is the official brewery of Mars anything we'd be interested in? Well, the film that we are doing for the second half, we thought, you know, okay, Asteroid City, it's a, it's a film about this, you know, group of... Uh, People stranded in this town ultimately because there is this contact with a space alien, and we thought, let's do another alien arrival kind of film. We ba we actually ba bandied around like a few. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. Roland, you said Arrival. That would have been a great option. Arrival, uh, Dogville, is something I thought of. Yeah, uh, Joe, you had said uh, Starman. Starman. Like, Any excuse to do a John Carpenter. Lots of directions. <laughs> we might have gone. Um, but we did come around to this title, which I think actually makes a lot of mm -hmm. sense for, for a lot of different reasons. Um, we're going with the 1996 American comic science fiction film, Mars Attacks, uh, directed by Tim Burton, another you know American auteur, yeah, yeah. Uh, working in a postmodernist style. We didn't really emphasize that, but the Anderson is definitely somebody who, who gets identified within that kind of... Uh, approach to filmmaking very self-referential very pop culture referential i would even suggest that when we ask that question what american director living would or director living would you go see their film a lot of people might say put tim burton on that list he's got a style that he's had are... a rough like past 15 years well, like, it's not on mine because he was at one no honestly at one time he was definitely there for me. Right up through Sleepy Hollow, he was there for me. Mm -hmm. um, but then once we got into like the Alice 3D and the, like there, there was some Chocolate stuff there, factory. yeah, that, that just didn't quite work. It was like, well, let me take these big titles and Burtonize yeah. them, and to, right. to to limited sometimes effect. But I did ask all of us to be prepared for after hours, as if yeah. you needed another reason right. to subscribe <laughs> to our patreoncom slash beer and a movie podcast after hours yeah. to bring your top three Burton films so we'll discuss right. that too right so you know but this one that we're looking at is from 1996 so still in that heyday I would yeah, say. yeah yeah um, still the goodness. where uh, you know t Burton decided to actually take on this project that was one of the few films that's been adapted from a trading card series and, and I, I mentioned when we were in the break like hey we did do Garbage Pail Kids movie because that's one of the uh, few others that I can think of yeah, that was right. adapted from a trading card series also a Topps trading card series, actually. Um, but this was one from, I think it was the 1960s when these trading cards were originally released and they had kind of become these, you know, th things that, pe that children of the 60s had really come to embrace, which Burton was, and I think the screenwriter Jonathan Gems was. And so they took this idea, this basic idea of these Martians coming to Earth and the whole process of 
determining what their intentions were, these aliens' intentions were in visiting our planet, um, thinking that maybe they're peaceful, maybe they're not, and ultimately finding out that these aliens, no, they're kind of just intent on creating havoc, killing as many humans as they can, and and messing with us. I mean, honestly, like these are some nasty uh, Martians that, that we see in this film. Um, it's a it's another film with a huge ensemble cast, right? Mm-hmm. We're thinking yeah. about how it kind of relates to uh, Asteroid City. We have um, Sarah it, Jessica Parker. It's or Pierce it's Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan while he Jack was uh, d- while he was playing 007, right? This is yeah. the, the James Bond yeah. Brosnan era, so he's kind of at the top of his game. Parker's just before Sex in the City, so she maybe hasn't ascended to as high as she was going, but she was on her LA way. L.A. story, man. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. Uh, but Jack Nicholson, yeah. right? Jack I mean, it, who... Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito, right. So, yeah. who, both who had worked with Burton on prior yeah, yeah. Film, the Batman films, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we have, you know, so many different... Glenn Close, and Benning. Martin Short, that's right. Um Michael J. Fox, Rod Steiger, Jim Brown, Ooh, Jim Jim Brown, Pam Greer. Ooh. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like it really Lucas is. Haas, right? Give it. No, okay. Hey, he, he's pretty good. <laughs> he actually, is. But, yeah. no, uh, Portland, <laughs> but and even some people who hadn't quite broken out yet. Jack Black. Yeah. Very yeah. young and svelte. Uh-huh. Right? Mm-hmm. Isn't it? Um, and military and, weight. <laughs> and, and also Ray J showing up in there, which is kind of funny. Where like. He hasn't really gone on to have a big acting career, but he has become a bigger pop culture figure than mm-hmm. uh, than he was at the at the time this film was made. So lots of different things, and also I love him bringing in Sylvia Sidney, who was mm. also in Beetlejuice, um, yeah, as yeah, a yeah. caseworker who's kind of working with mm-hmm. the uh, the uh, yeah, yeah yeah yeah. So you know, the star-studded cast set in multiple locations right a lot of the action takes place in dc where the president played by nicholson is uh you know obviously at the white house with his family and his advisors kind of working things out as things are unfolding you have a lot of action set in las vegas uh where uh, jim brown and jack uh, nicholson jack nicholson playing another character yeah. right who th- there's no tie in there it was just a i, I believe I believe what they said with Nicholson when he saw the script is like I could play every character in this thing and so Burton kind of agreed okay you can do one other <laughs> so so had him do that one, one. More. yeah right um, and uh, and then some in uh, I can't remember was it Kansas where Haas is uh, in the trailer park yeah I don't remember that. I thought that was Vegas I, was, I thought it was nearby yeah it might be you, you might be right but it was a slightly different yeah. and, Anyway, so so you have these different locations where things are going on, and then as the film goes on, we get these glimpses of you know what's going on in Paris, what's going on as all this is unfolding. But basically, it's you know the arrival of these saucers, what's the intentions once they land, figuring it out, and then once it becomes clear that they have no interest in a peaceful connection, figuring out what to do about it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and. You know, it's funny. We're listing all these big name people that are in it. Uh, yeah, and there, there there are a lot of people in it, and it's so funny. They're all they all go to waste. Not one, <laughs> <laughs> not one of them oh, delivers. Oh, oh. <laughs> I like Sarah Jessica Parker as the dog, but <laughs> well, that, that, that is your a great criticism guy. is. Keep going. Keep, I, I'm, I'm interested in where you're landing. It's, it's, this film doesn't work for you. It's funny that we're talking about how this isn't like the the era of the good Tim Burton movies, but this is the first really bad one from him. You think so? Yeah. Oh. I enjoyed. Okay, I've seen this movie now twice. Yeah. I saw it in the theater, and I didn't. It's kind of like the conversation we had about what was it recently where we. We, we revisited a film just the last two weeks. What was it? David, help me. Um, mm. What was... What, uh, <laughs> fuck. Okay, never mind. Uh, I did not like this movie when it first came out. I thought that it was, yeah, almost like a disappointment in that, uh, well, where's Burton going? But I really enjoyed this viewing. I, I, I was mm. fascinated that that was your take, to be honest with you. I thought it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Mm. Uh, the, the, it certainly does have good moments. The... Uh, you know who, do, who doesn't enjoy 
watching the alien. Uh, especially when they, they knock down the uh, the Washington Monument and they keep and re- they keep trying so they reshaping it until it falls on the Boy Scouts. <laughs> I mean, how can you not love that? Yeah. But like everything in between is just like, oh man. Oh. Everyone looks bored to me. That's huh. that's what that's what I think. I think so Tim Burton Nicholson was, looked bored. I think Nicholson was enjoying himself. I think Nicholson had a good time. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. when he's playing the uh, the casino owner uh, character, the the one in Vegas. Okay, so yeah. it's our job then, David. And, and Sarah, I want to know where you land. Because yeah, right. you, you guys have already disagreed at least twice. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a... I, I thought it was meant to be him trying to just let his hair down. Like, you know, he always had these movies that were so just like... Uh, uh. Yeah, and then this movie was just meant to be. Like, this movie's brighter than what came before. You're right. <laughs> you know, like, you're right. We're little shitheads. We're fucking around. <laughs> <laughs> so I felt like it was like him trying to just be like, oh, let's see where this goes, girl. To yeah. me, this, this, this movie feels so cynical. It's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, everyone, everyone sucks in this movie. Even before, <laughs> but like before the aliens get there, they're all just so mean to each other. Well, huh, you know, I mean, I think we have some glimmers of like positive humanity right like lucas haas's character i think is is probably the most redeemable yeah portman kind of has i think throughout most of the film our sympathy (laughs) or or you know was kind of courting that i agree with where you're coming from though roland and that like this is not like a a uh, sparkling portrait of humanity for sure and and but i think that kind of fits with to me, this is definitely satire, right? This yeah. And, and campy satire at And that. love of genre. This is Tim Burton's yeah. love of genre. Yes. I think that this is definitely... I mean, both he and Jonathan Gems, who was the screenwriter on it, um, I think were unabashed fans of 50s sci-fi, like, you know, Day the Earth Stood Still. Oh, yeah, You course. know, Earth, Earth versus the Martian. You know, like, Earth them. versus the Aliens, them. Like, th- they were going Invasion for of some of that, Avengers. right? Um, so I, th- I think there was a, a, a level at which they kind of want, in fact, from what I understand, Burton wanted the special effects to be even cheesier looking or, or like more throwback and more yeah. quote unquote fake looking and yeah. ended up going with the CGI only because it was cheaper ultimately. And Warner brothers wasn't willing to give him the budget to do it as stop motion, which, um, would have gone back to like those Ray Which Harry would have been Harrison a really films. interesting artistic direction. Yeah, it really would have been. Yeah. yeah, I like the look of the aliens and the cheesiness of it. Like to yeah. me, that they look so different. I mean, cartoonish is yeah. what, you know, rather than <laughs> yes. the live Which action. is very much if you look at the trading cards, you you can see them online. No doubt. Like yeah. they lifted that. I mean that that was directly yeah. from that. Yeah. yeah, I enjoyed all of that this go round. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ray guns, the disintegration of the humans when they're shot, the disintegration of the aliens when they're shot. I, I, I enjoyed this movie so much more the second time. It's a very 90s looking movie. The the, the CG effects are very 90s yeah. looking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like that. Um, yeah, although I do like the, the fun stuff, but yeah, I don't know. It didn't work for me. Uh, the second character that Nicholson plays, the uh, Vegas... Yeah, yeah. Man, that should have been Michael Keaton. That would have been perfect. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah that, that would have been interesting. I, I could have seen Keaton doing the president. That, you yeah. Know, like he either, but I, I kind of like Nicholson when he gets into those kind of like funnier, right? Cause he did, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he did some good comedy here and there, but, it, you know, like with the Joker role, I think he, he got to kind of stretch himself a little bit into even more sort of, you know, comic booky comedy. Mm-hmm. And and I kind of like seeing him do something somewhat similar, I think, with that Artland character, the the casino owner, developer there in uh, in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, like you, Joe. I think at the time I didn't think this was a bad film. I didn't dislike it. I think I I understood and appreciated some of what it was trying to pay homage to even then because I had seen a fair amount of you know fifty sci fi movies on cable or what you know like the the. Mm-hmm. They were easy to rerun and yeah. pay very little for them. So, um, I had seen a fair amount of that. I kind of got what he was doing, but I thought it was like a step down from the stuff that he had done before that, right? And we're talking about Edward Scissorhands, Beetlejuice, Ed Wood, Batman. Beetlejuice, Batman, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. You know, so th- these were these were films that had had a you know sort of elevated place in my mind. This felt like it was a little lower than that to me at the time. I also think it's it's funny how he. He had just made uh, a movie. He just made, I believe this was his movie after Ed Wood. It was. Yep. Okay, so he, he makes a movie about Ed Wood, 
And then his next movie is an Ed Wood movie. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean he was, I think, absolutely fresh in his mind. Plan 9 from Outer Space. This would make a perfect parent of Plan 9. Yeah. For sure. So, I mean, I think, but it's tough. It's a tough tightrope to walk. We're like, okay, but you're doing that with an A-list cast with a true Hollywood budget. And so you should be able to achieve different ends. And like, but you, so you're intentionally doing this poorly. Um but I, but I think it balances it pretty well. I mean, watching it again for this, for talking about it with y'all today, um, I I did come away from it, I think, similar to Joe, feeling like it had grown in my esteem. And that may also be colored by the fact that I feel like a little bit later after this, he did drop off a further cliff for me. Oh, yeah. That, you know, like, <laughs> in, in, in comparison, I'm like, well, this is still pretty solid, Burton. This isn't like the, you I'll know, take this over Planet of the Apes, for sure. Yeah, there, there you go. So, so there, there's a part of me that's kind of there. And I do think some of the performances are fun enough. Like, again, I've already said I like Nicholson as Artland. I like Martin Short as the press secretary. Yeah, I think that's, like... He's always good. He's always good, but it's funny to see him play, like, kind of a more smarmy character than yeah. I feel like I usually see him playing. Yeah, you're right. Um, and there, and I hadn't remembered the, like, prostitute scene for some reason. Right. Like, that, seeing that again, I'm like, oh, this was a little bit racier than I remember it being when Definitely I was... should have been watching it as a kid. My parents yeah. you watch this like, six years old. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you know, so moments like that, it, it's also, you know, like Natalie Portman is kind of an interesting sort of stand-in for the, I, I feel like that, and actually you, you sent a video before this that kind of makes this point, um, that, you know, that's kind of very similar to the Winona Ryder character from Beetlejuice mm-hmm. and, and even Edward Scissorhands a little smarter bit. Smarter than the adults in the room. Right, smarter, darker, a little bit more morbid than, than these other folks around her. Who are putting on this veneer of, of positivity. Pleasantry. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, just yeah. burn print himself in the movies. Yeah. It, it is, you're it right. is, you're right, absolutely. Um, I, you know, but I think Glenn Close as the first lady is pretty good. Like, the, the, yeah. there, there's something, like, kind of... Oh, uptight and yes. you know like Stoic. just yeah. <laughs> there you go exactly and, and referential to every past president's yeah. uh yeah she just cares about the thing right before the chandelier falls on her she's like yeah. oh my god that was nancy reagan yeah yeah and uh and and you know may he rest in peace he just left us not that long ago jim brown um oh, it's yes. it's interesting to see it like i forgot how big of a piece of this film he was mm-hmm. And I do, I have great affection for him for his black exploitation era mm-hmm. and, and, you know, what, what he did, you know, films like Three the Hard Way and that, that I, you know, I can't help but like, and I know he has his problems. I understand that <laughs> I'm not going to excuse all of his behavior throughout his life, but he was a very interesting figure and somebody who my dad as a huge sports fan was in awe of and, and would always talk about in these very like reverential terms. And Pam Greer, this may have been the first real Pam Greer role that I ever saw because this was a year or two before Jackie Brown mm-hmm. and it was only after seeing Jackie Brown that mm-hmm. I went back and watched, you know, like Coffee, uh, Coffee and Friday for Foster and, and all these like sort of great roles that she did in that black exploitation era as well. Um, so, you know, to me, this was, this is a, this is a better film than I remember it being, and it's one that I feel like within Burton's filmography deserves probably a little more respect than it's been getting generally. But Mars Attacks, when you Google it, I mean, it's got a huge clear fan base, and a lot of fan art is a secondary market thing. I mean, people love those aliens. Hack, hack. I mean, people love those aliens. <laughs> yeah. uh, one of my tattoo ideas since I saw the movie when I first saw it, like, immediately it was, because it was just so unique and I was like, this is different. Like, I loved how it just was goofy and silly and funny and mm-hmm. just laid back. Like All oh. those big egos putting their ego aside yeah, to do the just, silly project. Just be yeah. silly. Like, it just... It seems so like I don't know, like warming. Like oh, they can be funny too. But Michael J. Fox was great in it. Oh my goodness! And to yeah. see him in his full powers is just I don't know. Like relax. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they never had him holding a cup of water in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and, uh, right. The the. the well and and you know i i know why you're bringing that up but i also think like it is i think an instance where you know i i think of this in relation to signs right like 
And th that being a film about an alien invasion that has this like twist at the end where like, oh, they are hydrophobic or whatever. Like they, they end up Water is their enemy. Right. Water yeah. I thought this, this conclusion was a silly science. But that's what I love. I love that it's Slim Whitman's voice, his yodeling, that messes them up. I just, and, that's and he so does it funny. well. There's a little, you know, uh, telegraphing at the beginning that yeah. the grandmother likes that man. Yeah. Interestingly, Howard Stern did a bit a decade before this on his radio show at NBC where he had an alien invasion and Slim Whitman's voice is what kills the alien. Really? Yes. It's all on Google. Was that Whoa. was that brought up in this uh, time? It was did brought, Stern... He brought it up, but he didn't do that Stern thing where he sets Tim Burton on fire. He just said <laughs> it had to have been some weird coincidence. And then I think Tim Burton came in as a guest and they play. If I can find that, I'll post it on our oh, social media. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that at all. And Tim Burton's like, I don't, I swear to God, I didn't know that. And, you know, sometimes you get these weird lawsuits about, you know, Harry, uh, what was it? Um, not Harry Styles, uh, Redhead, uh, Edward. Ed Sheeran. Ed yeah. Sheeran is getting sued by the estate of let's get it on we are gay yeah yeah thank you yeah uh and thank god that that ended the way that it did because i think some of these things is like music is notes and there are eight of them yeah eight major <laughs> notes and maybe some things are just accidentally a little bit similar yeah yeah there's a case about that with the simpsons right like is a parody on adult swim I oh, I don't know. I oh. hadn't heard that one. It was like, oh, I came up with Bart Simpson. Like, like no, I came up with Bart Simpson. Oh. And they're like different variations. And it's like, I'm this Matt, is a Matt case Matt of... a thief. <laughs> oh, wow. It was like, he was my college doormate. Like, no. Oh, interesting. That's funny. Well, I mean, I, I get where Roland's coming from. And I think this is a film. It would, it would not be the first Burton film that I would recommend anybody to see. If anybody was saying, like, hey... What should I check out to understand <laughs> Tim Burton? This would not be the film. Mm -hmm. um, I, th I think there are, there are many others, and we'll talk in after hours about where I would probably point people instead. Um, but I think as a light bit of comedy, that uh, especially if you have some love for those '50s sci-fi films that I think are getting referenced, uh, you know, pretty, pretty yeah. regularly throughout it, and want to see some of the major stars of that moment in the mid '90s kind of playing, I think it's a good bit of uh you know time spent on whatever streaming service you happen to want to mm -hmm. watch it on it's which this was a rental right now I rented we, it. yeah i did too it's not on any streaming platform that i know of just being included there but um and i and i don't think it's had any sort of like deluxe blu-ray or dvd release i mean I'm yeah, sure i don't know if there'll be a 4k i'm this. sure it's available but i don't think the criterion collections <laughs> Um, I know that this is a great party movie. I would definitely yeah, do this. I don't know. Sound I don't down, know. catch You can talk to the, the boring parts. And... Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> okay, hater. <laughs> it's all right. We, we welcome everybody here, including the haters. Yeah. Um, well, I guess the question is, if we, you know, like, we see these films about aliens coming to us and, you know, Mars attacking us. Well, if we ever made it to Mars, right, mm -hmm. what are we going to find there? Would there be intelligent life would there be some kind of vegetation would there be a good brewery i mean we so, certainly have in our glasses a brewery that's claiming it is the official brewery of mars what i think we... they would have uh, vhs copies of uh, the brave little toaster goes to mars <laughs> <laughs> that's where all of them went there you go i, I, sent them I all. will finally be able to prove to my mom that the vhs is that i kept <laughs> yeah oh, Vintage VHS tape. I can get two hundred dollars for this on eBay. Yeah, and I well, got a TV with a butt. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, before we start, do you know that I'm not the big fan of the Mexican style lager? I'm we know that. Say that out loud before we get started. I'm sure that Starbase Brewing. This is the third thing they put up. I looked at their website. Yeah. And so I mean, they're, they're relatively new. I did not know what the first two were. Yeah. I think they may have a hazy. I, okay. I, but I I'd go there if I was yeah. at the tap room first. Yeah, uh, but but for a Mexican lager and it's a four point nine, so you know you drink this after you mow the yard and you know you're not gonna uh, overload. I, right, I, I'm enjoying it very much. Y yeah, to me, for a Mexican lager, this this one uh, works pretty well. Oh. It, it does have some of that sweetness, I think, from the corn. Um, it it's also got a nice little bit nice. of maltiness in there. <laughs> Um, I, 
I, I think this is a, a yeah. decent solid uh, interpretation of the Mexican lager. What do you all think? Uh, you're going to see the uh, the Modelo, the Corona. You know, you're going to put it up on the shelf next it to those as far as flavor. Tongue. So it, I wouldn't put it up there with like a Corona. Like okay. If, if you're like, Corona's my favorite, I wouldn't be like, oh, no. then you should definitely try this because this stays longer and tastes harder. Or, or do you like the Corona? How about a little more robust of a flavor profile? Mm. It's kind of maybe where I'd go with that conversation because this does have that to, to compare to a Corona. Some more citrusy flavor to yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like this. You're right. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, it's working on Buzzed. <laughs> well, there you go. And sometimes that's all you need. Yeah, right. Sometimes that's exactly what you're looking for after you mow the yard. That's right, I'm Not beforehand, because you want the mind to nice and straight. Yeah. God, what a great episode. I don't think there's a failure amongst anything that we did today. No. no I mean, you know, unless unless you're Roland and, and upset with Mars Attacks, which is valid. He's pissed. Psych, guys. That's my favorite movie. All three no. That's my top three picks. I was just messing with you like I'm on a Martian. I'm making I, you think I didn't. I didn't want to taint y'all's interpretation of it, but I love Mars Attacks. <laughs> well, have you seen his Fantastic After Hours <laughs> I, I have it, <laughs> but but I'm guessing after hours is gonna get Randy. Yeah, yeah, sure. We'll crack open. We'll crack open another beer and um, get get there, no doubt. But here's the best thing about beer in a movie: is the conversation's not ending; it's just getting started. I've already mentioned our Patreon account. Support us there; we appreciate that. But it's not just that; it's Facebook, it's Instagram, it's Twitter, it's all the things. Discord is a lot of fun. Uh, if you search the name Beer in the Movie, the conversation continues. Or find us on any of the other social media and ask us, how do I get on your Discord? We'll let you know. And we've we've already mentioned, like I said, a dozen times that we're going to be over at patreon.com slash Beer in the Movie Podcast where we're going to ask Sarah, Roland, David, myself, what's your top three Burtons in order? What's your top three Wes Andersons in order? And then I want to ask everybody to talk about how they kind of got into this whole movie thing. Um and then while you're at any of it, right? No matter where you are, you're going to go in there. You're going to rate us. You're going to leave a review. Five stars helps us out. It gets the algorithm to do what it do. Puts us out there as an option for more listeners. You have just experienced another guest-packed foursome new episode of Beer in a Movie. Until next time. I want to thank my grandma for always being so good to me and for helping save the world and everything. Mm-hmm.